You may be aware uh, this past week on, uh, uh, I think it was Tuesday, there was an explosion in downtown Durham. And uh, it impacted uh, Ridgecrest. The Ridgecrest folks were impacted. Uh, as I've learned over the course of the week, hearing stories from different folks, uh, we have uh, several in, in, involved in our church as uh, EMT, first responder, uh, firefighter. Um, some of our, our church affected. Uh, Kyle Hunnings was uh, there uh, with the Durham Fire Department uh, working. Uh, Brian Eaton. Brian, stand up for a second. You could. Brian's the assistant chief of our, volunteer, uh, not volunteer fire department, but of our Durham Fire Department. Tell me your official title, Brian. I keep forgetting. It's so long. Assistant chief. So he's right up there. And you were at the headquarters while all that was going on. Uh, Leo Dale, one of our church members, was actually on the scene uh, working with the firefighter who was uh, injured so severely. So uh, we are praying for those folks. And uh, spoke with Brian earlier. And Brian, you continue to let the folks know we're praying and we're available any way that we can be. Also, uh, when the explosion took place, one of our members, Susan Thayer, was working across the parking lot or across the street. Her entire office complex was destroyed. The ceiling was falling down. The windows were blown out. And some of her coworkers actually uh, had to go to the hospital. Susan did not, but uh, uh, thankfully she was spared. Sarah Williams, one of our church members, was right down the street at uh, Trinity Presbyterian Church meeting with the minister to prepare the funeral for her mother, who had just passed away. And uh, she, said, she said when the explosion went off, she said, well, I guess Mama didn't want that song. We'll have to choose another one. <laughs> Joel Essery, one of our church members, was working with Pike Electric not too far away, and he said it sounded like a bomb went off. Others perhaps were impacted as well. Perhaps you were impacted. But I want to take just a second and, uh, and thank the Lord that the, the damage was minimal. Uh, Pam and I drove through town a couple of times over the weekend, and uh, there's just debris everywhere. The roads are still blocked off, and it uh, uh, looks like a bomb went off. And so, uh, you know, we are certainly sad that a person lost their life. But uh, I was talking with Brian a few minutes ago, and Brian said it could have been so much worse. And uh, God was gracious. Would you pray right now with me? Our Heavenly Father, we come before you, and uh, we thank you for your grace and mercy that even when tragedy strikes, as we step back and as we look, we can see the hand of God, the hand of protection, the, the hand of provision. We thank you for those who are our first responders who kept this tragedy from being so much worse. We thank you for our church members who were right around that scene and none of which were seriously hurt. We thank you for, uh, for all those who uh, were able to escape. We pray for the family of the man who lost his life and for the firefighter as he recovers. Lord, remind us that uh, none of us are immune from the difficulties, tragedies, and trials of life. But as we trust in and follow after you, you provide for us in this life and in the life to come, all because of the cross. All because of the cross. We thank you that we win no matter what happens on this earth. As we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, Easter week is upon us, starting this weekend that we're in now and going all next week into next weekend. There are several things going on in the community. There is baseball. There are beach trips. Uh, there is pollen everywhere. Uh, I had my door duty this morning was down here under the shelter, and, and the rain, recent rain, has, has washed a lot of pollen off of things, but not under the shelter out here. So I was out there in the pollen trap. Uh, greeting people. So as you walked in, I tried to scoot you in quick so you wouldn't get uh, 
uh, tore up by the pollen. There are spring sales everywhere at the department stores and at Lowe's, Home Depot, and those places. There, This is prom weekend for a lot of folks. I saw a lot of our church folks uh, going to prom over, over this past weekend. Uh, there are the NBA playoffs if you're a basketball fan. And uh, like Alvin over here got his master's jacket on, this is master's weekend. So uh, a lot of things going on. Alvin, what year did you win that jacket? What, what, did you? 1980, back before they started really keeping records good. Okay, I got you. A lot of things are happening and going on. But I will tell you, and Alvin would agree with me, although the Masters Golf Tournament is today, today is all about the Master. The Master, and that's why we gather. Uh, so, so a lot of things are going on. As Al mentioned, the Big 12, I think it was today. Uh, a lot of things happening in and around Ridgecrest. Take note, take part, and, and as we try to say all the time, but especially at Easter, what a wonderful occasion to take one of those little green invite cards that we have stuck everywhere and invite a friend, a neighbor, a co-worker uh, to come with you to one of the uh, events surrounding the Easter season here at Ridgecrest that they might hear and that they might believe. You know, the original Easter week took place back in the days of the New Testament. And on that week, we know that the Jewish leaders had been attempting, trying, and looking for an opportunity to have Jesus put to death. They did not like him. They were opposed to him in every part. And so they were looking for a way not only to silence him, not only to, to move him out of the way, but actually to put him to death and to kill him. But because Israel at that time was under Roman authority, the Jews did not have the authority to put anyone to death. They had to take those capital cases to the Romans. And the Romans had to be the ones to condemn and carry out uh, the, uh, the death sentence on folks. Last Sunday, if you were here, we were, we were talking about the events of what happened on Thursday night of Easter week. On that Thursday night when Jesus gathered his followers... They, they shared the Last Supper, the Passover meal together. He instructed them. He washed their feet. He prayed there in the upper room. And then they left and went out to the Mount of Olives where Jesus was arrested. We left it there last week. We pick up there uh, today. And so we're on Thursday night of Holy Week or Easter week, which by the calendar will be this coming Thursday. While we're celebrating the Lord's Supper on Thursday night of this week, that would be the night in which all of these events of the last several weeks we've been talking about from the Gospel of John, that's the night all of these things uh, happened during the original Easter week back in the days of Jesus. So on that Thursday night, Jesus was arrested in the garden, and afterwards he endured three stages of, Jewish, uh, uh, of the Jewish system. He appeared before Annas, the father-in-law of the high priest, who tried to get Jesus to confess to a crime that would, be, uh, that would bring him to be put to death by Rome. Then Jesus appeared before Caiaphas, the high priest, who tried to, to get Jesus to confess, uh, and Jesus did confess that he was the Christ. And under the Jewish laws, as they looked to him as blaspheming by claiming to be God they, and believing that he was not, they handed him over then to the council early, early on Friday morning, and the council pronounced the judgment of death upon Jesus. And because it was a judgment of death, they had to now take him to the Romans. And so there were three phases of this Roman judicial system that Jesus endured on that Friday morning. First of all, he was taken to Pilate, the Roman governor. Uh, and then Pilate sent him to Herod because he didn't want to deal with him. 
And Herod sent him back to Pilate again for the third time now. And Pilate then tried to release him. But the crowd shouted instead that Jesus be crucified. Today we're looking at John chapter 19. We're looking at one picture of Jesus from each chapter of the Gospel of John. Today in John 19, we're looking at this picture of Jesus, how Jesus is the Savior on the cross. I want you to notice with me the first 15 verses of John chapter 19. It might have looked something like what you'll see on the screen. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him whipped. The soldiers made a crown out of thorny branches and put it on his head. Then they put a purple robe on him and came to him and said, Long live the king of the Jews. And they went up and slapped him. Pilate went back out once more and said to the crowd, Look, I will bring him out here to you to let you see that I cannot find any reason to condemn him. Look, here is the man. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Crucify him! Crucify him! Take him then and crucify him. I find no reason to condemn him. We have a law that says he ought to die because he claimed to be the Son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid. He went back into the palace and asked Jesus, Where do you come from? But Jesus did not answer. He will not speak to me. Remember, I have the authority to set you free and also to have you crucified. You have authority over me only because it was given to you by God. So the man who handed me over to you is guilty of a worse sin. When Pilate heard this, he tried to find a way to set Jesus free. If you set him free, that means you are not the Emperor's friend. Anyone who claims to be a king is a rebel against the emperor.
When Pilate heard these words, he took Jesus outside and sat down on the judge's seat in the place called the Stone Pavement. In Hebrew, the name is Gabbatha. the day before the Passover. Pilate said to the people, Here is your king. Kill him. Do you want me to crucify your king? The only king we have is the emperor. So there's no movie that could ever do justice to what happened in scripture. Perhaps this helps us to see just a little more clearly what it may have been like in that time in which Jesus was beaten and ultimately condemned to die upon the cross. Matthew, I'm not Matthew, John chapter 19 verses 16 to 19 tell us about the cross. Would you stand with me this morning as we read about the cross of Jesus? Matthew 19, uh, John chapter 19 starting at verse number 16. So he, that's Pilate, delivered him, that's Jesus, over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus and he went out, bearing his own cross, to the place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on either side, and Jesus in between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. Our Heavenly Father, today we focus on the cross. Today we focus on the price that was paid for our sin. We look forward to next Sunday when we focus on the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. We look forward to that. But may we not gloss over the cross. May we remember in this worship service, in our time with you during the week, in our other worshipful moments this week. May we remember the price that was paid for the forgiveness of our sins as God himself gave his only son that we might have life in him because of his death for us. As we pray now in Jesus' name, amen. All right, please be seated. So I want to take uh, just a few moments this morning and talk about three depictions of Jesus that we see in these verses. Three depictions that we see here. The first thing I want you to notice is this, that Jesus gave himself freely. When Jesus went to the cross, it was not because 
the Jews uh, took him against his will. It was not because the Romans took him against his will, but because Jesus himself freely came to earth, gave himself in his ministry, gave himself in his life, gave himself to the cross that you and I might be forgiven of our sins. Notice verse 16. So he, again, that's Pilate, delivered him, that's Jesus, over to them, the Roman soldiers and the Jews, to be crucified. Now, it's depicted fairly well, I think, in the, in the video. I think it's a little more strongly uh, happened, a little more strongly than is depicted there uh, on the film. But, but, but see here, Pilate only thought he was in charge. You ever know anybody like that? They think they're in charge, but you really know they're not ultimately in charge. Pilate only thought that he was in charge. Uh, and notice in verse 9, there in Matthew, uh, John chapter 16. John chapter 19, I'm sorry. He entered into his headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave no answer. And I believe that probably what happened is Pilate, a little full of himself, went up to Jesus, maybe face to face, and said to him, You will not speak to me? He said, don't you know who I am? Don't you know I'm the governor? Don't you know, he says, that I have authority to release you and I have authority to crucify you? I am the man, Pilate is saying. He thought he was in charge. Jesus answered, verse 11, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. The only authority you have, Pilate, is the authority God has given you. And Pilate did not know this, but he was a, a part of a plan. Not his plan, not the Jews' plan, not the Romans' plan, but a part of God's plan that salvation might come into the world. And Jesus was reminding him of that. In fact, back in the Gospel of John, when we were back in chapter 10, we went across these verses of Scripture, John 10, verses 17 and 18, where Jesus said this, The Father loves me. The Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. Before Jesus ever got in front of Pilate, before he was ever arrested in the garden, before he ever went to the upper room and had the, the last supper with the disciples and washed their feet, before he ever went back to Jerusalem, Jesus said, I'm laying down my life. And it is mine to lay down. And it is mine to take up. Verse 18 of John 10, No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. You know who's in charge? In that scene in John chapter 19, when it seems like the, 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 it's all about the Jewish leaders, and it's all about the Roman leader, you know who's in charge? God's in charge. Do you know who's in charge of your circumstances today? When it seems like it might be the doctor giving you this news, it might be your, your, your husband or wife giving you that news, or your kids or your boss, you know who's really in charge? God is ultimately in charge. That's the blessing that we have. Jesus said in, in the same instance in, in Matthew 26, when, when it's reporting on this same time frame, Jesus said this. He said, don't you think that, don't you, uh, think that I cannot appeal to my Father and He will once at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? In other words, like we sing that song, He could have called 10,000 angels. All Jesus had to do was say the word. The Father had given Him authority and Jesus had said, I can lay down my life I can take it up again. I can walk right out of here anytime I please. But you know what he did? He went the distance for us. And he paid the price for us. 
John chapter 19 and verse 12. After this point, Pilate sought to release him. Pilate knew there's something going on. The scripture reports that, that Pilate, this ruthless governor uh, of the Romans, uh, from the Romans over the Jews, he, 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 he was described in many ways. He was disliked by the Jews. He was ruthless at times. He understood Jewish culture and Jewish law. He was a weak man, a compromising man, and a man who was very concerned about himself. He was afraid of the crowd. And Scripture reveals he became afraid of Jesus. He tried to release Jesus. The crowd turned on him. And Matthew, I believe it is, reports that he went to the crowd. He, he visibly washed his hands, symbolically saying, I'm washing my hands of this man. I'm giving him over to you. I'm giving you what you want, but he's not my, it's not my decision. And in verse 16 of John chapter 19, Pilate delivered him over to be crucified. And so they took Jesus, and he went out bearing his cross to the place called the place of a skull, Golgotha. So the first thing I want you to notice is that Jesus gave himself freely. Nobody put him in that situation except he himself being willing to go there on your behalf and on my behalf. Isn't that a wonderful thing to recognize here at Easter as we think about the cross? I want you to notice, secondly, that Jesus died for our sins. A lot of people die. Jesus, the only one who qualified and the only one who did die in our place and for our sins. In verse 18 of John 19, three little words. They crucified him. That's all it says. Details aren't given. Have you, have you, ever, have you ever noticed that... that, that, that we want so many more details of, of what happened, what crucifixion is, what it, what it is. Have you ever wondered, why does the Bible not say more than those three words? They crucified him. I've, gotten lots, I've seen lots of things over the years, and even recently some people have sent me some information about all the medical things that happened physically in the body of Jesus as he was nailed to the cross. What happened when he was beaten? What happened as he carried the cross? What happened because he had sweat drops of blood? What happened when they laid his arms out and drove the nails in his, in his hands or his wrist area? What happened when they crossed his feet and put, put a spike through his feet? What medically physically happened and then as they lifted him up what happened as he was there on the cross how he had to push himself up in order to allow his body to breathe and then as he would tire he would slump back down but then he had to push himself up again or else he would not be able to breathe and eventually his body wore out and he died after three hours on the cross Lots of information out there about what medically happened. Why does the Bible say those three words, they crucified him and left it there? Do you know why? Because in that day and time, everybody and anybody who read the account of Jesus in John chapter 19, where it says those three words, they crucified him, knew exactly what it was. They didn't need a description. They had walked in and out of Jerusalem and other areas of the Roman Empire, and they had seen crucifixion. Oftentimes it said the Romans would line the roads with crosses and people again who had, who had uh, committed crimes against Rome. They were crucified for, for a mile or more outside of a city. They knew crucifixion. And there it says they crucified him. There, there, there is something important about where Jesus was crucified. It says he was crucified at this place, the place of a skull. And, and it said that because at, at the cliff area right there around Jerusalem, the rocks making up the cliff looked like a, the face of a skull. 
And so they call it the place of the skull. They crucified people there and other places as well. Interesting fact that that, that rock outcropping right there in Jerusalem is, is the same place on the mountains of Moriah. It's the same place where thousands of years earlier than the time of Jesus that, that God spoke to Abraham and said, take Isaac and offer him as a sacrifice on the mountains of Moriah. The same outcropping. And the Bible tells us Abraham went there. And out of obedience to God, was willing to sacrifice his only son, the son of promise, until God provided a substitute, a ram, a lamb caught in the thicket. And the ram became the substitute for the son in that same area. And for thousands of years after that, once, once God gave the law through Moses and the temple was built and constructed, for thousands of years there in that same spot, that same rock outcropping, every morning, every night, the lamb was offered the, the sacrifice. The lamb who is the substitute for the sins of the world. Every morning, every night, that symbolism was shown. And then on this day, in John chapter 19, by a Roman cross, Jesus, the man, the Son of God, the man became the Lamb who was the substitute for the sins of all mankind. And that's who Jesus is. There on the cross, He was given the worst possible death. It was excruciating. It lasted a long time. It was humiliating. He stood there hanging on the cross for the whole world to see. Exposed in pain, mocked, dying, gasping, death. And the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and in many other places, Christ died for our sins in our place. He became the Lamb of God who cleansed the sins of the world. It's interesting, not only that Jesus died, but it's interesting how Jesus died. In, in the Old Testament, it says in Deuteronomy 21, verses 22 and 23, this. If a man has committed a crime punishable by death, and he is put to death, and you, have, and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him the same day. Notice this. For a hanged man is cursed by God. Not by hanging necessarily the rope around the neck, but hanged on a tree, posted on a tree. A man who is put to death, nailed to a tree, is cursed by God. So it's not just that Jesus died, but how Jesus died. If, if the Jews had their way and they were able to kill Jesus, they would have killed Jesus by stoning. That was the Jewish method of, of, of killing, is, is by stoning. Well, if they had stoned Jesus to death, it would not have fulfilled what God had said in the book of Deuteronomy. It had to be hanging on a tree. In Galatians chapter 3 and verse 13 in the New Testament, it says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written from Deuteronomy, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. The Bible makes it clear, and if we had time, we could dive in and dive deep that Christ died in our place and for our sins. Aren't you thankful for that today? Verse 30 of John 19, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said this, it is finished, and he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. 
lastly today I want to point out to you the, the third depiction of Jesus, and that is that Jesus is king. I want to say that clear. I'll say, can I say it again? I love saying this part, especially when talking about the cross. Jesus is king. Would you say that with me? Jesus is king. Say it again one more time. It just feels so good. Jesus is king. The Bible tells us Jesus fulfills three offices, prophet, priest, and king. As a prophet, Jesus tells forth the truth of God. And as a prophet, he also foretells the truth of God. He says what's going to happen in the future, and he's able to do that because he's God. He knows what's going to happen. There is no, there is no, when Jesus never woke up and said, I wonder what's going to happen today. He knew. And so as a prophet, he foretold and told forth the truth. As a priest, Jesus fulfilled the office of a priest in this. He represented God to the people. He stood before the people and spoke for God, and then he stood in the presence of God and spoke for people. Just as a priest is what we might call a mediator, he stands between the people and God. Jesus did the same thing. He's a priest. The priest also offered the sacrifice, and Jesus offered the sacrifice of himself. Jesus, as the priest, was the one who offered the sacrifice, and unlike any other priest, Jesus was the sacrifice that was offered. He was prophet, he was priest, and he was king. You know what the Bible says? That Jesus not only is a king, but he is the king. And not just the king, but he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Aren't you thankful for that this morning? Verse 19 of John 19, Pilate wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Pilate meant it as a, as a description of his crime, as an insult to Jesus, as a ridicule of a man who dared to say that he was the King of the Jews. What Pilate did not realize at the moment is that he was, in writing the King of the Jews on the, on the sign on the cross, he was being exactly truthful. He spoke more truth than he realize today today we leave the story with the cross today we leave the story with the death of Jesus when he said it is finished and he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit we leave the story for today at that moment this is a story that if we're looking at Easter week takes place on Friday afternoon so we've been working our way through. Now we're at, at Friday afternoon, and Jesus has died. The disciples seem that all is lost, but the story is not over. I'm so thankful we live on this side of the cross, because on this side of the cross, we also know we're on this side of the resurrection. And, and it might be Friday, but Sunday's coming. You've heard that before. Well, I want to leave you today with the words of one of my favorite preachers, S.M. Lockridge. I have read this before. I'll read it again today, and I'll read it again in the future. It's so good. It's entitled, That's My King, delivered in a message from S.M. Lockridge. My king was born king. He's the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the King of glory. He's the King of kings, and He's the Lord of lords. Now that's my King. Amen. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. 
He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Now that's my king. Anybody say amen to that this morning? He is God's son. He's the sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's honest. He's unique. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He's supreme. He's preeminent. That's my king. He supplies strength for the weak. He sympathizes and he saves. He guides and keeps his people. He heals the sick. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He serves the unfortunate. He rewards the diligent. And he beautifies the meek. That's my king. Anybody say amen this morning to that? Do you know him? Well, my king is the king of knowledge. He's the wellspring of wisdom. He's the doorway of deliverance. He's the pathway of peace. He's the roadway of righteousness, the highway of holiness, the gateway of glory. He's the master of the mighty. He's the captain of the conquerors. He's the head of the heroes. He's the prince of princes. He's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. His office is manifold. His promise is sure. His light is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. His yoke is easy. And His burden is light. I wish I could describe Him. But He's indescribable. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. The heaven of heavens can't contain Him, let alone some man explain Him. You can't get Him out of your mind. And you can't get Him off of your heart. You can't outlive Him. And you can't live without Him. The Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him. And the grave couldn't hold him. That's my king. He always has been and he always will be. He had no predecessor and he'll have no successor. There's nobody before him. There'll be nobody after him. You can't impeach him and he ain't going to resign. That's my king. Let's stand together. Let's stand together. That's my king. That's the king of who the Bible says Jesus is. The question today is, is he your king? Is he your king? The story is there in the scripture. The, 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 the message is portrayed on the video. The message is shared from the scripture today in your connect group and in, in the worship service. But the question today is, is he your king? It is of no value to you to hear the message and to walk away as you came in if you don't know Jesus as your Savior. We could start right here and go around this room and take hours of the people here who would talk about how they came to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. My question today is, do you know Him? As the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Savior of the world, your personal Savior. If you do, rejoice in Him, live for Him, tell others about Him. If you don't, then even today can be the day of salvation. If you'll simply cry out, as the Bible says, confess with your mouth, Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead as you turn from your sins and put your faith in him the Bible says you will be saved saved from eternity separated from God because of sin saved to eternal life with God because of Jesus isn't that great news today man it's the day of the cross it's the day of sadness but we know next Sunday's coming I'm looking forward to next Sunday I'm looking forward to this coming Thursday night. I'm looking, forward, I'm looking forward to every day. Just every single day is a day to celebrate the fact that Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords.